Amen. We give thanks with a grateful heart to our great God who has given us such a precious life. Indeed, it is amazing that God's economy works the way that it does. Last week, we talked about salvation and suffering and the reality that indeed there's times and places where Christians are going to suffer because they have been marked to carry forward the gospel in this world. We said last week that Jesus Christ was willing to suffer and die as a common criminal on the cross of Calvary to secure our salvation so that we might live by His grace and for His glory if we would repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus Christ. We then said that Indeed, because of that, we are not to be ashamed of or afraid of suffering. We are not to be ashamed or afraid of Jesus Christ's suffering. We are not to be afraid or ashamed of the suffering of Jesus' servants who are taking the gospel into the world. We are not to even be afraid or ashamed of our own suffering. Because Jesus has paid the penalty by, by dying on the cross of Calvary. To purchase our salvation. This week we turn our eyes from the salvation and suffering to God's economy. And we, talk, we want to talk about the issue of investing. Now indeed we all have seen that the money markets of man are at best, at best uncertain. And at worst they are as unstable as uranium 235. If you don't know what that is, go Google it after the service. You'll be surprised. A very volatile substance. And we understand that our money markets are much like that. They are unstable. And we are not going, but today we're not going to talk about the investment of our money. We're going to talk about the investment of something that is far more precious, far more important, far more valuable. And it is not our money. It is our life. Where is our life invested? All of us are investing in something as we go through life. All of us are investing somewhere with someone for something. Indeed, maybe you're in school right now. You're a student and you're learning. You're investing in your education. Your hopes and dreams are that you're investing right now so that you might become invested in a job and a career so that you might be able to provide for your family. You hope that you will be able to invest in a marriage. You're maybe in the midst of a marriage and you are investing everything that you have into that marriage to build a firm foundation on Jesus Christ. Maybe you're investing right now as a parent or a grandparent in the lives of your children or grandchildren. But all of us are investing somewhere. All of us are living for something, for some purpose. We each have been given a certain number of days by our Creator God to be spent upon this earth. And we spend them in some way, somewhere, with someone for some purpose. What is the purpose? What is the purpose behind all of your days, behind all of your life, behind everything that you do with every breath that you have? What is your purpose? How are you investing the one and only God-given life that you have? See, when it comes to money, we tend to be really finicky about our money. We tend to be very decisive in planning where we will invest it, with whom we will invest it, how we are going to get a return upon the money that we have. 
Most of us don't have more money than we know what to do with. And so we are very careful, very cautious about the few measly pennies that we do get left with. But here's the problem. We are so cautious and careful about our money, but we are so reckless with our lives. We are so reckless with our lives. It's amazing. It's amazing how frivolous we are. See, we waste tons of time. Tons of time on all sorts of things. We can't help but go check Facebook every 15 minutes. Got to go check and see if anybody's on Google Chat, if anybody sent us an email, if anybody's left us a message on Skype so that we can Skype with them. We've got to go so, so much of the time and check our phone to see about our text. Perhaps, young people, you're somewhere akin to Andrew Ackland from Ohio who managed to send 250,052 text messages in one month. One text message every 13 seconds. We're consumed with all sorts of things. And on top of being consumed with all these things, just, you know, yeah, Facebook is enough. The Internet's enough. You know, Skype is enough. And TV, but in addition to texting, we have TV. A.C. Nielsen Company says that the average American watches four hours of TV per week or per day. Four hours per day. That's 28 hours per month. 28 hours per month. Two full months a year are spent watching TV. That is nine years of a life that is lived for 65 years. Nine years of your life sitting before a boob tube. Listen. There is a serious problem in how we approach life. Because, see, at the end of the day, when we've done all those other things, when we've spent our time in Facebook, when we've spent our time uh, looking all around uh, MySpace and and looking uh, all over the Internet for something that is relatively irrelevant for our lives and for something of substance, listen, at the end of the day, the question is, what is most valuable? What is most important? And it comes to answer that we don't have any time left to spend in the Bible, in the faith book, or in prayer. Without thinking, we pursue all sorts of fleeting things, fleeting pleasures and passing possessions. We spend little time thinking about how to invest our life with God for the sake of the gospel. Indeed, most of the time, uh, most of the time, our economy and God's economy do not match up. How and my question again is, how are you investing that one and only God given life that you have? Indeed, that old saying that I referenced earlier, there is only one life. Life to live, it will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. And Paul is sitting in a Roman prison shackled to Roman guards. 
And Paul waits, is waiting for the execution order to be carried out in his case. And if we look at the external circumstances, there is every reason to be anxious and uncertain about everything, including his life. But Paul doesn't face that situation with uncertainty. He doesn't approach it as though he has no assurance. He approaches it with confident assurance because Paul understood God's economy and he understood that he was in God's hand. And so Paul speaks with certainty, with confidence, with assurance about the return on a life that is invested with God. He gives us a sound and successful plan to invest our one and only God-given life in God's economy. And so this morning, let's stand and read together and see how Paul says that we are to plan and invest our lives in God's economy. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, For this reason I also suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard that which I have committed unto Him against that day. Father, we thank You. Though we are sinners, separated by our own desires, you have given your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. And Father, that when we invest our lives and trust our lives to you, Father, you pick them up and live through us in ways we can never imagine. You give us ministry to carry out. You give us responsibilities to to walk in. And Lord, we ask this morning that as we study your word, you would illuminate its meanings, that you would bring it to bear upon our lives. Father, that you would allow us to walk in confident assurance. And Father, that you would allow us to carry our responsibilities well so that you might be glorified by everything that we say and everything that we do as we invest all of who we are in all of what you want us to be. Lord, may you lead us and guide us now. And Father, we ask that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We see in this passage that as faithful servants of Christ, we entrust all of ourselves to God and He gives us a deposit to to guard. We understand that as Christians, we have entrusted all of ourselves to God and now God in return has given us a deposit which we are to guard. We have not only entrusted ourselves to Him, but He has entrusted something to us. And so we deposit and trust and invest all of ourselves to, in God's economy through sincere faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he saves our souls, secures our future, and entrusts us with the sound doctrine of truth and the treasure of the gospel of eternal life. 
And so as faithful servants of Christ, we need to have confident assurance in the person and work of Jesus Christ when, because we have deposited or entrusted our lives to Christ. But secondly, we also need to understand that there are responsibilities that come from, from being a Christian, from giving all of our hearts and souls to Christ. And so first of all, let's look in verse 12 and see that there is a confident assurance that flows from depositing our life with God. There's a confident assurance of eternal life that flows from depositing our life with God. There in verse 12, he, said, he begins by saying, And listen, I suffer all these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded, I am convinced, He is able to guard that what I have entrusted to Him until that day. Indeed, that's many of our favorite songs. If you were to take a, 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 a poll this morning, many of you would say, that's my favorite hymn, or maybe that's my life verse. That's how I live. But here Paul is living out and putting before us the reality of salvation and the security that we have from Christ. He opens verse 12 by saying that all of his afflictions, his persecutions and sufferings, even his impending execution for the sake of the gospel, never once caused him to be timid, to shrink away, to be ashamed of the gospel. His appointment by God as a teacher, a preacher, and an apostle had resulted in beatings, in loneliness, and imprisonment, and hunger, and shipwreck, and violent attack, criticism, misunderstanding, and rejection. And we need to understand this as Christians within this world. Many times, the price of completing the of devoting ourselves to completing the divine duty that we have been entrusted by God himself will cause us to have definite affliction in this world the price of devotion to divine appointment and divine duty is many times definite affliction by the world. And yet Paul says, I am not ashamed. He reminds us of that in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and then for the, the Greek. Even in affliction, Paul had a confident assurance and was not ashamed. He wasn't going to back down. He wasn't going to change or transform his message. Listen, Paul was not a man who would step away from the truth of God because he believed if the Bible said it, he had to say it. And so he says, salvation is not a matter of man and his merit so that people are happy. Salvation is a matter of Christ and his cross so that their souls are saved. And listen to those wonderful words that Paul continues to express his confident assurance in God's power to save his soul, strengthen his resolve, and steady his perspective. Paul begins by saying, I know whom I have believed. That's hard. I just want you all to know that. After singing all those years, I know whom I have believed, you know, to say, I know whom I believed. But that's what Paul is saying. I know not what I believe. I know whom I have believed. That's the point. 
There are many, perhaps even some of you who are here today, who know all about Jesus. You know all about the gospel. You've sat here for months and months and months, and you've heard all the messages, and you're sitting there, and you know all about Jesus. You know the facts, but you don't have faith. You don't know Him. And the point of our preaching, the point of our teaching, the point of everything we do is not just to know about Jesus, but to know Him. And so he says, listen, it is facts, not faith, that matter. Salvation is not the result of believing certain doctrines, although in verse 13 we will see that believing doctrine and knowing doctrine is essential, an essential part of the growth of the Christian life. But listen, it is not the salvation is not just a simple surrendering of a piece, a part, or a portion of your life. Salvation is the surrendering of your entire self to the person and the work of Jesus Christ, Lord and King who was killed at Calvary and raised again on the third day. He's the one in whom we have believed. Not just what we believe, in whom I know Him. I know Him personally. I know Him intimately. And so we understand. Paul says, listen, you need to know first in whom you believe. Second of all, but continuing from there, we understand faith and trust is ultimately at the heart of our banking system. And I want to I want to sort of bear this out for you. And I want you to understand that we must believe in Jesus Christ and commit ourselves to him and trust ourselves to him. And that's sort of the point of what Paul is saying. But understand, faith and trust are at the heart of the banking industry, and they provide a great illustration for how we are to live by faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Indeed, as we go down the road, we don't take our money into any place. In fact, as you drive down the road, you don't look for, you know, a place that has an old handmade uh, homemade sign hanging out beside the road and you look up and there it is beautiful wonderful place to invest and entrust your money as you see a trailer with the name fast freddy's finance any of you going to go in there absolutely not You're not going to go because you want to go to a bank with an established name, with a nice building, with a secure vault in order for you to deposit the funds that you have worked so hard to receive. If all the tellers in the line look like they're drug addicts and they're destitute, you're not going into Fast Freddy's Finance, are you? But no, you're going to go to a bank. You're going to go to a place that is established. To deposit the money in a bank requires trust, but not only does it require trust, it requires a transaction, a place and a time where you come and actually give your heart, your life, your soul, everything to the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, when you trust Christ to save you, you're admitting, I cannot save myself. I cannot work good. I cannot accomplish good enough uh, works on my own in order to be acceptable to God. After, although I am a sinner, I am confident that I know Jesus Christ and his work on the cross of Calvary can pay the penalty and deliver me from the power of sin. I am entrusting my eternal destiny to Jesus Christ and I am taking God at his word by believing that indeed the gospel will do what God has promised, namely to give me eternal life. So give me eternal life as I repent of my sins and place my faith in Christ. 
till that basic transaction occurs, you do not have eternal life, nor do you know the person of Jesus Christ personally. I want to say that again. Until you come to the point where you can see your sin, see your shame, and surrender your soul, your life, and everything you have to Christ, you don't know Him. You have not known Him. See, Paul says this because some 30 years before when he, before writing this letter to Timothy, Paul had made that deposit on the Damascus Road. He had entrusted his life to Jesus Christ as he had uh, put him on the ground, knocked him off his donkey, put him on the ground and caused him to fall upon his face. At that time, Paul had let go of all that he had been trusting in for standing with God in exchange for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, his Lord. Listen to how he describes it in in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all these things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of how much? Just a piece, just a portion, just a part of my life for whom I have suffered the loss of all Things and count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He says, listen, I used to work out as hard as I could to be made acceptable to God. But now I understand I can never earn acceptance before God. I have to be given acceptance before God. God has accepted me not because of who I am, but because of who His Son Jesus Christ was and what He did at the cross of Calvary. As we come this morning, have you entrusted your life to Christ? Have you done that? Have you invested your life with Christ? Indeed, there are many who ask the question, well, Pastor, can I just uh, entrust a certain portion of my life? Can I just get saved, take Jesus as my Savior and not as my Lord? Listen, the Bible is clear that trusting Christ with your eternal destiny is either an all or nothing proposition. Indeed, Jesus says in Revelation that you must be either hot or cold, for if you are lukewarm, you're spewed out of the mouth, vomited out of the mouth of the living God. That is not a good sign and that does not mean you get into heaven by the skin of your teeth he says listen all or nothing proposition you deny yourself take up your cross and follow me or you can't be my disciple let me ask this morning are you investing your life for christ do you have a confident assurance that he has redeemed you from your sin because you know whom you have believed And you are convinced that he is able to keep what you have committed to him against that day. 
See, Paul had deposited his life, his soul, his all in the care and keeping of the living God and Savior. He was convinced that the same God that has shown his power to raise Jesus Christ to life and sustain him even through all of his sufferings would be the same God who would faithfully guard the deposit of his life. What difference did it make what Paul went through on any individual certain day? For what really mattered is what would happen on that day day when Jesus Christ would return to reward all of his faithful servants. Paul explains that in in that day in chapter 4 verse 8 where he, he says in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only to me but to all those who have loved his appearing says, listen, there's coming a day of judgment and you need to know this. I need to know this. We need to know there is a day coming when Jesus Christ, the reigning, ruling judge of all of the universe, is coming back to judge the living and the dead. And the question on that day is not, are you you a nice person? Are you a good person? Are you better than Betty, Bill, and Bubba? The question on that day is, do you know Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? And if you have not received Him, then you have rejected Him. If you do not know Him, then you have not entrusted yourself to Him. Paul understood and had a firm faith in the person and the promise of the good shepherd, the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, who said concerning his sheep, I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. That is eternal security. Wherever did you get that from the pastor? From the Bible. From the Word of God. Listen. If there are those who come in and act like they are Christians and live for some indefinite time, whether it be days, months, years, it does not matter. And if they do not hold to biblical Christianity and biblical doctrine and know, in fact, the person and work of Jesus Christ, it says they went out from us. Why? Because they were not truly of us. But for those who are truly saved, they will not be plucked by anyone out of God's hands. Isn't that confidence? Isn't that assurance? What a blessing to know. I've entrusted everything to him. And so I can have confident assurance in his work. This this, uh, passage and the song that we sang earlier sort of remind me of the old 50s song. You you remember, I don't know much. What, What was that song? What a wonderful world it would be. Don't know much. I don't know much about history. I don't know much about biology. I don't know much about the science book. I don't know much about the French I took. But I know that I love you. And if you love me too, what a wonderful world it would be. Paul says, listen, I don't know much. I don't know how people are going to respond to my messages. I don't know what tomorrow holds for me. I don't know the dangers that I will see, the the hardships that I will face. I don't know all the trials and tribulations that I'm going to endure. But I know this. I know Jesus. And I know He is strong enough to keep what I have committed to Him against that day. 
I know that Jesus is my Lord and that He will keep His promise to me. I know He is able to deliver on the commitment that He has made to strengthen me, to sustain me, and to redeem me for all of eternity. When we deposit all of our lives with Christ, He is faithful, powerful, and purposeful in guarding our souls for all eternity. And there is confident assurance, confident assurance that flows from depositing or entrusting our lives with Christ. But secondly, we have responsibilities. If we give our lives to Him, we take on responsibilities from our salvation. These responsibilities come with salvation. And Paul gives two responsibilities. Look there in verses 13 and 14. First of all, he says, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. He says, listen, you have two responsibilities to carry out within your life. First of all, retain the sound words and the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Secondly, guard the truth, the treasure of the gospel which has been entrusted to you. Having laid the groundwork of God's purpose and faithfulness to us, Paul now turns and gives Timothy the responsibilities that he has in carrying out the ministry of the gospel. Paul presses the issue is great urgency in this passage as he focused on Timothy and pleaded with him, what you have heard from me, that you are to teach others, you are to take and to share with the watching world. The sound doctrine, the true God, the sound doctrine of the true gospel is founded upon the law, upon the writings, upon the prophets, upon the words of Jesus and upon apostolic teaching. And so uh, he is, Paul is acutely aware that there are false teachers who have come in, who have tried to derail the church, who have tried to destroy the church. But he says, listen, uh, you don't need to go after any of these other things. You need to keep the, the sound words that were entrusted to you. You need to retain those words. Now, I want you to understand. The word translated here, sound, comes from a word that is used within the Gospels to describe the healing of the sick by Jesus. This same word is used in the Gospels to describe the healing of the sick by Jesus. Paul is using this word to distinguish apostolic doctrine from false doctrine. What he is saying is truth produces health. It is healthy. It is good for you. By nature, it is what you need. It results in right thinking and right living. Paul says, listen, you need sound doctrine, good doctrine, healthy doctrine, so that you would have right living. He does not prescribe intellectualism at this point, the building of theological structures just for the sake of having theological structures. I went to many, uh, went to seminary with many who came out with desiring nothing but to build theological structures for the sake of those structures. 
They just wanted to be regarded as intellectuals. Who cares if you're intellectual? This is not a prescription for intellectualism. This is truth that is meant for life. Truth for life. It is to impact our lives. It is to be dispensed with faith and love in Christ Jesus. If we are to guide people to Christ, we must hold a sincere trust in our Lord and in the sound doctrine, the good doctrine that He has given to us in His Word. Our lives must be dispensed. Distinguished by love, divine and strength and giving. Both faith and love should be centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. What we believe, listen, must influence and inform what, how we behave. You need sound doctrine, Timothy. You need to live a life of faith and love. First of all, you need to know Jesus Christ. But secondly, you need to live out a life that testifies you know Jesus Christ. Husbands, let me ask you, how does your faith influence and inform your behavior at home? Do you love your wife even as Christ loved the church? Are you willing to give up your life for the sake of your wife? Do you understand that it says no man hurts or hurts or harms his own flesh? Indeed, husbands, how are you doing at home with your wife? Loving her as Christ loved the church. Wives, how are you doing with your husbands? Are you submitting to your husband as to the Lord? You loving him that much? Are you willing to show that you love him so much that you are willing to graciously follow as he follows the Lord? Parents, how are you doing with your children? Parents, you are to do what? Raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. How are you doing? Are you teaching them the scriptures? See, you can't teach them what you don't know. You can't teach them what you don't know. And so if you don't have time in the scriptures and you don't have time praying, listen, you can't teach your children what you do not have. Parents, how are you doing? Or children, how are you doing with your parents? See, Ephesians chapter 6 says that you are to honor and obey your parents. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you here upon this earth. Children, your behavior reflects your belief. And if you truly believe, then your behavior would come in line with it. College students, how about you? How are you doing? Giving yourself to drunkenness and drugs and debauchery there at school? Or are you giving yourself to serving the living king? See, it matters what you do. It matters how you say things. It matters how you talk. It matters how you walk. It matters how you act each and every day. Because Paul says, listen, right theology, right believing, sound doctrine will influence you in a healthy way. We need to understand right belief must inform our right behavior. Paul's words reverberate with his awareness that death is drawing ever closer. He's anxious that Timothy comprehend the importance and urgency of following through with his instructions. He told him to guard that apostolic revelation or to to retain the sound doctrine. But in addition to this, to guard the good deposit, the treasure that has been entrusted to him in the gospel. Each generation is charged with this charge for the gospel must be preserved in purity in order for God's kingdom to go forward. We must protect it from destruction 
redemptive teachings. It is a serious responsibility for we handle the very words of God. And so listen, if the preacher stands up and he can't say, thus saith the Lord, he doesn't have anything to say. Doesn't have anything for you. See, this is God's word and this is serious work in dividing it and understanding it and breaking down and feeding it to the flock. We must admit, and yet we must admit, our inability to fulfill this task in our own power. Indeed, it would be a terrible, a terrible waste or tragedy for me if every time I went to preach, I had to dream up what I was talking about. Because then it would be all about how creative I am and how well I can market the gospel instead of being about the the Spirit-generated, Spirit-given ministry that He has entrusted to the one who believes in Christ. And so, here's Paul saying to Timothy and to all Christians that you must guard Christ's gospel with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Paul reminds us of this wonderful gift of God, this person of His Spirit who enables us to perform what God has called us to do. Listen, God will never call you to step out and do something that He will not equip you in the work and ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit to perform. This is a great picture of the Christian life and responsibility. God is the one who grants to us His grace and His Spirit of life. He gifts us freely freely as we trust Jesus Christ as Savior. But it is our responsibility to respond with obedient trust, not to gain salvation, but to express love and to fulfill the calling of God upon our life. For Paul describes this interaction of giftedness and responsibility in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, where he says to work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling in order to be saved. No, because you are saved. And that's what he says. He goes on. He says, listen, work it out with a sense of respect, a sense of fear, not to gain salvation, but flesh it out. Work it out in your life. The the implications of being saved. Then the promise is given in verse 13 of Philippians 2. For God, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to what? His good purpose. If you're a Christian here today and you're wondering, well, where in the world am I going to get the strength? How can I serve God? How can I be fruitful in the ministry of the gospel? You do it by yielding yourself fully to the Holy Spirit and guarding the gospel that He has entrusted to you. See, we have personal responsibility to God, a personal responsibility to God But the promise of strength and provision by His Spirit reminds us that in the midst of this wicked world that we face, we are not alone. I'm not alone. I'm never alone. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be concerned because the Spirit of God is living within me, expressing Himself through the ministry that He has given me to do. It's tragic that we have so few within our culture and even within our church who know, love, defend, and defend the truth and the gospel. We saw a horrible example of what this looks like, what it looks like not to do this this week. If anybody was watching Kristen Chenoweth on Joy Behar this week, we saw an absolute terrible example. I don't have to worry about you watching it because I think I was the only person watching the show. 
I mean, the numbers are so low, who, who knows? But here's the thing. Christian Chenoweth began to say, you know, it's okay. You can do whatever you want to. You can live any lifestyle you want to. It's okay to be gay or homosexual and call yourself a Christian. The reality is, it's not true according to sound doctrine. The Bible says that it is an abomination before the Lord to practice homosexuality. But let me tell you, we should not just stop there. We should be very straightforward with our college students, with our singles. Listen, it is not only an abomination to practice homosexuality. It is a major issue and an abomination to the Lord to practice heterosexual sex outside of marriage. Both are commanded not to be practiced within the text of Scripture. We can't stop there. But listen, in that moment, Kristen threw the Bible, the gospel, and sound doctrine under the bus, choosing to take her feelings and her perception of reality over what God's Word says. And that can never be the case. Listen, we don't walk up and smack people against the head because they sin, because all of us sin. We are sinners who need a Savior. The message of the gospel, the message of the Bible is that there's sinful people who are separated from God by our own selfish decisions and we need a savior and so do all the others and so we're honest we have sin in our lives but we are honest that there are others who are practicing all sorts of evil and abomination before God and they need a savior just like we need a savior her statement I don't judge them and I don't want them to judge me. Listen, Kristen, in love and Christian love, I am telling you, I'm not judging you. The word of God stands in judgment over you. And it is God himself who will judge on the final day. Not me. I don't have a place. But here's the reality. I am to retain the sound doctrine that has been given to me. I am to guard that precious treasure of the gospel that is in my life. Christian has the responsibility to retain sound doctrine and guard the treasure of the gospel. As we close this morning, Watchman Nee points out in one of his books uh, that a person will walk differently when he has a treasure in his pocket. See, if you're walking down the street and you just have a quarter in your pocket, you're really not that concerned about anybody walking up and stealing anything from you, are you? It's okay. It's just a quarter. But if you have $10,000 stuffed down in your pocket, you're going to walk differently. You're going to take care of where you go and how you walk and where you, where you place yourself so that you can guard, so that you can protect that precious treasure that is there in your pocket. You'll be careful not to go to places where you might get mugged. There are certain things you won't do for fear of losing that treasure. But listen, the same is to be true for the Christian who has entrusted his life life to Jesus Christ. Certain places you won't go, certain things you won't do because you understand God has purchased your salvation through the person and work of Jesus Christ and you know whom you have believed. You're convinced. You're persuaded that He is able to keep that which you've committed unto Him against that day. 
If you've deposited your life with Christ, then He has deposited the precious treasure of the gospel within you. And He has given the Holy Spirit of God to lead and guide you through the course of your life. And He asks you to guard it by holding on to sound doctrine and by godly living. And so we are to walk carefully. We are to invest our lives wisely, which means we are to consider how we spend each and every day. So as we close our service this morning, let me ask you, what's most important to you today? Word of God and prayer? Relationship with the living Christ? Or are you more concerned with going home this afternoon and getting a nap and watching the NASCAR race? Guys, where are your priorities? What's important? How have you invested your life? Will you invest your life with Jesus Christ and Him alone? You only have one life to live. It will soon be passed. Whatever is done for Christ, only that will last. Father, may You lead us and guide us in our moment of invitation and decision. Father, if there are any here this morning who have not entrusted themselves to You, Father, I pray that this would be the hour of decision, the point of the moment where they entrust their lives to the living God and they become intimately acquainted with Jesus Christ and His person and work in a first-hand knowledge. Father, for those of us who have made that decision long ago, but now, Father, we are, are shrinking back from the responsibilities that you have given us of retaining sound doctrine. Father, shrinking back from the responsibility of guarding that precious treasure of the gospel that you have entrusted to us by the, ministry, by the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. Lord, I ask today that you would renew us. Renew our zeal. Renew our desire to live for you, to love you, to pour out ourselves before you. Father, we ask that in these moments, that we would truly surrender all. All of our life. All of our stuff. Everything. For the sake of your gospel. So that our souls might be saved. And so that many might come to know Christ through our work. Lord, lead us and guide us now in this, this time of decision. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with me now as we close our service uh, with a hymn of invitation.